schadenfreude everybody must have screamed ah he's a sung hero a little pushy pushy are you back from listening to stairway to heaven twice now those are just words i looked up on the internet unreasonable doubt a podcast about west virginia university basketball starts now hello from the studio in Nitro, West Virginia, this is Unreasonable Doubt. It's a podcast about West Virginia University basketball, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Josh Witt. This is episode three, Moorhead State, the Eagles. The Eagles come into Morgantown, and they played three games before tonight. And based on Ken Pomeroy's computer, Moorhead State did two things really bad. They... Turned the ball over a lot in their first three games. It didn't, and they didn't cause a lot of turnovers. Caused very few turnovers. So that's a bad combination. And so West Virginia tried to disprove that in the first four minutes, turning the ball over with frequency. And then they stopped doing that. West Virginia caused twenty turnovers and beat Morehead State seventy-five fifty-seven. The letdown vibes were there. Hey, shout out to Las Vegas. I checked the line this morning. It was West Virginia minus 18 and a half. 75-57. Let me do the quick math. Yep, 18 points. And the lead was up to 26 at one point in the second half. And then Huggins cleared the bench. And Morehead State got it to 18. So if you had WVU minus 18 and a half, uh, you lost, and I'm sorry. Low energy in the first half. Lots of standing on offense. You know how crisp it was up north last Friday? And some of the sweet, sweet offense that we saw. Nah, not very sweet. Very much flashbacks of last year's team, as and not in a good way in regards to the offense. Lots of standing. Lots of I don't want it. You take it. And then there's like seven seconds on the shot clock, and it didn't look good. But the defense got turnovers in the last four minutes of the first half, stretched the lead out to nine, and then, like I said, it got up to 26 at one point. It got really wild. And I know <laughs> Huggins was not thrilled when it when it was Eric Stevenson trying to tomahawk an alley-oop. That's when he knew that it was getting a little out of hand and this team was getting a little uh, old terminology here, big for their britches. Because I didn't see much of Eric Stevenson after he tried that, <laughs> after he tried that tomahawk alley oop. Um, but the guy tonight is a guy who got his first start for the Mountaineers tonight, Trey Mitchell was solid and Bob Huggins was really trying to get the ball in Trey Mitchell's hands. They was, they ran the set over and over to where Mitchell would be in the corner and take a screen and try to get to the basket. And so he touched the ball a ton and uh, there was good things happening when Trey Mitchell had the ball with all the standing and whatnot. If Trey Mitchell's got the ball, then you you know I'm not saying to stand and watch him shoot and create, but that does work. <laughs> it worked tonight. Matter of fact, Trey Mitchell and Huggins played him 27 minutes tonight, 
and trying to get him in the game shape for the upcoming tougher schedule that's approaching. And there were two straight possessions in the first half where it's Trey Mitchell got the ball like 15 feet out and immediate double team. So many options when you get the double team, right? You can pass out of the double team. You know, that's a that's a very solid move, right? To pass out of the double team. Trey Mitchell in two straight possessions said, you know what? Me versus two of you. And let's see what happens. <laughs> I don't know how many times I've seen that before. Maybe once. It usually doesn't work well when you're double teamed. And you go, you know, one versus two, one of you, two of them in basketball and parenting in you know, so many things in Red Rover, you're outnumbered. Trey Mitchell on these two possessions, it went very well. One, he got past both guys, dunked the ball, got fouled, made the free throw. So three to zero in the one versus two matchup, got the ball again, double teamed, didn't dunk this time, but got in the paint, made a jumper. Five, <laughs> five points for Trey Mitchell, zero points, zero stops for the double team. And that's rare. And then Trey Mitchell did good basketball plays later, threw out the double team for a three. Trey Mitchell led the team in scoring the night. He, he played really well. He played really well. Now, Bob Huggins is comparing him to Deshaun Butler, and that's that's a lot. <laughs> that's a high that's a high level comp cuz we're talking about the second and I would argue the second best WVU basketball player in school history, college career. Right? Top 5. Definitely top five. I would argue top two. And Trey Mitchell is being compared to Deshaun Butler by Basketball Hall of Fame coach Bob Huggins. Let's keep an eye on that. You know, that's a lot. That's a lot to handle. Now, the guy's 6'9". He's smooth. He's got an outside shot. He got to his spots tonight very comfortably, can, can pass the ball well. Uh, it's it's just a lot. It's a lot to take in going into this season with all these new guys, three games into the season, getting a Deshaun Butler comparison. It's a lot. It's a lot. Jimmy Bell Jr. He played a lot of minutes for Jimmy Bell, 19 minutes, 10 points, eight rebounds, and one possession. This is, this is the promise of Jimmy Bell against smaller guys. Now, this guy from Moorhead State, uh, he did everything he could on this one possession. Jimmy Bell got the ball, bullied his way to the basket, got fouled. This guy didn't end up on his back. He did everything he could defensively. He stood upright, got called for the foul, and he did what you do when that happens, which you just start laughing like, what am I supposed to do with this? What am I supposed to do with 6'10", 285? It, how much did Jimmy Bell weigh when he came to Morgantown? Anyways, that guy was not 6'10". Back in the early 2000s, there's this guy called Shaquille O'Neal. He was a giant. He was bigger than Jimmy Bell. Still is bigger than Jimmy Bell. And poor Scott Pollard, who is a giant man too, 
not giant when he's guarding Shaq. And Scott pa- Scott Pollard uh, was did great defense against Shaq in that he didn't get sent to the third row. And yet the foul would be on Scott Pollard. It would not be on Shaq. It would be on Scott Pollard. Scott Pollard could be bleeding. And the foul was on Scott Pollard. And I'm I'm just saying that's 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 the power and that's the you can't move me of one Jimmy Bell. So the big guys carried the day. Another another solid stat line from Muhammad Wagi. What's in the not great column? Talked about the slow start. The guards tonight shot a combined eight for 32. So 25% shooting from the guards. Rebounding was even. Now, you know, West Virginia's done well rebounding in their first two games to to break even with the team that started four guards and held their own on the on the rebounding. Three-point shooting, WVU four of 17. They only had 11 assists. And those stats point to what I was talking about in the first half with a lot of standing and a lot of, hey, I don't want it. Maybe you can do something with it. You know what I mean? And then the And then the technical streak continued no player got a technical foul tonight but one basketball hall of fame coach bob huggins carried the torch tonight got the technical foul early to keep the streak alive wvu three for three in the technical foul column so not great you know but all of that all of the bad let's say all the bad is like a basketball sickness dr bob huggins He's got a prescription for bad offense. And this Dr. Huggins, he knows what to prescribe. He has two prescriptions, tried and true prescriptions that he always, like he'll hear you out on what's going on with your offense, and he's going to give you these two prescriptions. And maybe one of them doesn't work. He's going to prescribe you both. The first prescription is offensive rebounding. Like take this, this will fix your – offensive woes and tonight West Virginia didn't have a big advantage there so that medicine didn't work so you go to the second prescription and the second prescription is force turnovers and get easy buckets out of that and West Virginia did that tonight and so that was the medicine for bad offense that was the medicine for not great shooting eight for 32 for the guards that's even when you're turning the ball over, you could do those things and it's going to make your offense feel better. So Dr. Huggins to the rescue, WVU 3-0. and They turn it on in the second half to beat Moorhead State. NBA fans, the NBA action is just getting started. So are the incredible offers at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA pregame Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, total points scored, and more. Listen, Javon Carter, when he starts in the NBA, that team wins this season. So maybe pick the Milwaukee Bucks to win, pick them to 
win by a large margin, have Javon Carter scoring more than four points, boom. Same game parlay. With payouts bigger than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is where I go to bet on the NBA. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Oh, hey, by the way, I forgot to mention this in the in the first segment. Uh, the AD for WVU got fired. The athletic director for West Virginia University, he got told, uh, take a hike. Shane Lyons out. And so, first of all, I want to wish Shane Lyons the best in his future endeavors. And obviously, I mean, for people that, that are paying attention – his removal is tied to what's going on with football. If football was not struggling, Shane Lyons would not be disappearing. So that's what's going on there from the outside. I'm sure there's more to it. I have no idea how this change affects basketball, but it gets you it gets you thinking. You know, time keeps moving. People keep getting older and basketball Hall of Fame coach Bob Huggins is 69 years old. And next year, he's going to be older. And then the year after that, he's going to be older, and so on and so forth. So he's been asked more often than not, I think, coming with the Hall of Fame news and just this idea of how he's going to just keep aging like we all are. He's being asked, like, what, do you have retirement in your plans? What's what? How long will you coach a team? His most recent statements are is that he's not going to overstay his welcome. I've also heard him say he doesn't want to leave until he wins a national championship for West Virginia. We'll see what happens there, but he'll be 70 next year. Whoever's the new AD will most likely be handling the end of the Huggins era, whatever that looks like. So what's great about the internet, there's a few great things about the internet when it comes to coaching changes and if the if the athletic director gets fired, Everybody's got an opinion on who would be a good athletic director. Now, let me stop you right there and ask you this question and just think about it. And you don't have to say it out loud. Just think this. Do you know what makes a good athletic director? Can I tell you out loud? Since this is a podcast, I'll tell you out loud. I have no idea what makes a good athletic director. Uh, Probably an introvert is not a great athletic director. Uh, I'm guessing a, a business person would be pretty good. A person who can get donations is pretty good. If, you, if you're good with money, probably good with the athletic director stuff. But I truly don't know. And whatever you said in your head, I would hope it is. Unless you're, unless this is your job and this is your business, you don't know what you don't know, do you? And I don't know who's a good candidate, who will come out of this. What I do know is history. And that, that's not exclusive to me. Like, history just exists. And so I look back to see how other schools have handled, in my lifetime, Hall of Fame basketball coaches leaving. All right? This is not everybody. It's not a, it's not a, a deep pool. We do have some recent turnover of Hall of Fame coaches that it's it's too early to tell 
I mean, Roy Williams left. The early outlook for the replacement for Roy Williams is is solid. I mean, that guy went to a Final Four last year, got to the championship game, and then this is the first year for Coach K's replacement. So too early to tell on those two. So if you take those out and the sampling that I came up with, as far as what's happened, there's basically, number one, it's a mixed bag. It's not, <laughs> it's not total success here in every case. It's not failure every time. It's a mixed bag. But I do have four major categories that these Hall of Fame coach changes once they leave, who takes their place. That falls under four categories. Let's start with the first category is that the school will hire an assistant of the Hall of Fame coach. Makes sense, right? That guy was really good. He had guys sitting beside him. They got to watch the Hall of Fame coach. Maybe that guy can do it really good. Maybe not as great as the Hall of Fame guy, but he had to learn something from the Hall of Fame guy, right? So North Carolina did this with Dean Smith when he retired. They hired his his longtime assistant coach, Bill Guthridge, and that guy was really good in his three years. Two Final Fours. So my man was an assistant coach, long, long time, got the head coaching job, did it three years, two Final Four appearances, and then he retired. So that hire was pretty great. Now the guy after that, uh, it didn't pan out, all right? Also, Bobby Knight. Bobby Knight, he didn't retire. He got fired from Indiana. And so who did Indiana hire? A Knight, a Bob Knight assistant, Mike Davis. He got the job next. And that guy did pretty good, in my opinion. He got to the championship game. And after six seasons, he felt the pressure to get out of there. <laughs> now, it, it, are Indiana fans rational? Who's to say? Uh, but they have a high level of expectation. I do know that. Have they gotten back to the Bob Knight success? No, they're still chasing it. But I thought Mike Davis, not bad. Not bad. So those two, if you hire the assistant of the Hall of Fame coach in those two instances, not bad. Not Hall of Fame, but those two guys, three Final Fours between them. So not bad. And so when you think about could it be Larry Harrison, could it be – other guys that have been assistants for Huggins, maybe not on the bench of WVU now, but somewhere else, then, you know, those two examples, not bad. Second category, hire the Hall of Fame coach's son. The coach, like this guy has the Hall of Fame coach's DNA. So he'll be good, right? So I've got two examples for that. At Oklahoma State, Eddie Sutton, Hall of Fame coach. He retires, they give his son the job. And the <laughs> the son of Eddie Sutton, he made it two seasons before he forced to resign. So not great. <laughs> and then Bobby Knight, I, I'm saying Bobby Knight again because he got another job after Indiana. He went to Texas Tech, finished his career there. They hired Bobby Knight's son, and his, Bobby Knight's son lasted about three seasons. He had an overall losing record, fired. So in those two instances, option two, hire the son, not great. And for Bob Huggins, impossible. Bob Huggins does not have a son. So WVU is safe there. You don't have to worry about that. I don't think his daughters will be interested. 
Third category, hire <laughs> the third category is hire the coach at Xavier. That's a category. I've got a couple uh, of instances there. Rick Bettino, uh, later on in his career, he coached at Louisville. He left Louisville under circumstances. You can Google that. Won't spend a lot of time on that here. But Louisville hired the Xavier coach, Chris Mack. Chris Mack, uh, he doesn't coach Louisville anymore. He lasted three seasons and change before he got fired in the middle of a season. So not great there. And then you go to Arizona, Lute Olson. He won a national championship. He retired from Arizona. They hire Sean Miller, the Xavier coach. And Sean Miller made it 12 seasons. He won 73% of his games, made that seven NCAA tournaments, no Final Fours, and he got fired. But he made it 12 seasons. So not bad. Not bad. So who's the... <laughs> So if WVU wants to go that route in the near future, the current coach for Xavier, Sean Miller. And so he he got fired from Arizona, came back to the job opening at Xavier. Um, and we'll actually see him <laughs> coach against WVU in a couple of weeks, or maybe next week, depending on how the tournament in Portland goes. West Virginia may play Xavier back-to-back. It's a possibility. And then the fourth category – in this who do you hire after the Hall of Fame coach leaves is you hire Tubby Smith. This is a very specific category. Rick Pitino left Kentucky to take the Boston Celtics job, enter Tubby Smith from Georgia and also coached at Tulsa and some other places. And Tubby Smith in his first year, he won the national championship. So this is the only guy out of the four categories that's won a natty. He made the NCAA tournament every season that he was at Kentucky. He won 76% of his games, uh, but after 10 seasons, Kentucky was uh, not fond of Tubby Smith, and he resigned. Now, Indiana's got high expectations. Now, move your hand up more, and those are the expectations at the University of Kentucky. But Tubby Smith, national champion coach. So those are the four categories. I don't know which, which way West Virginia will go whenever that time comes. Okay, so if I had to rank the categories, I think first would be Tubby Smith because he won a national championship. I don't know. I don't think he's available. I think he's done coaching. So then you go to the second best option, which is to hire an assistant coach. That's worked out pretty well. Final fours. huh? I would love another final four run. From Bob Huggins, and but his predecessor, if, if he could do that, that'd be awesome. Third category would be to hire a Xavier coach. Mixed results there, and then the the worst option is not feasible, which is hire the offspring of the Hall of Fame coach. This episode of Unreasonable Download is sponsored by Freeman Sports Cards and Collectibles. Went up to the attic, opened up the shoebox, and I've got baseball cards. I've got basketball cards. I think I've got a few Andre Dawson cards. Very few rookie cards of any note. I've got some gold skybox cards. I got a little, I know I've got a Detlef Shrimp. 
I know I've got an Irvin Johnson. I've got a lot of Seattle Supersonics basketball cards. I, ke- I kept a hold of those. A couple of football cards, some old Marvel Comics cards. I'm telling you this because I'm thinking about calling Freeman Sports Cards and Collectibles. 304-416-3631. Call them up and say, hey, I've got, I've got eight very good condition Andre Dawson cards. And they may want them. I don't know. They're always looking to buy sports cards, action wrestling figures, comic books. But you should give them a call. 304-416-3631. Also, December 2nd through 4th, they'll have a sports card show at the Morgantown Mall. Check that out when it comes along. Freeman Sports Cards and Collectibles. The next game for WVU is this Friday in the Coliseum, 7 p.m., ESPN Plus, and this is a rare bird. WVU plays an Ivy League team. The Penn Quakers come to Morgantown to play the Mountaineers on Friday night. I was like, when's the last time WVU's played an Ivy League school? So I, I hit the internet, look it up. West Virginia has played one basketball game versus an Ivy League school in my lifetime. That team... The Penn Quakers. I was barely a year old when West Virginia beat the Penn Quakers 67-64 in the first round of the 1981 NIT. All right, so that's the postseason. That's not really scheduled. When's the last time WVU scheduled a game against an Ivy League team? You got to go back to 1972 when Cornell, Andy Bernard's alma mater, visited Morgantown in the winter of 1972. The Coliseum was two years old. So the Coliseum was a toddler the last time WVU scheduled an Ivy League team. It's happening again Friday. The Penn Quakers, guess what? Not a ton of transfer portal activity. (laughs) Not a lot of guys entering the transfer portal and ending up at the University of Pennsylvania. Is it University of Pennsylvania or Pennsylvania University? Who's to say? I guess the internet could say. But no, zero D1 transfers for the Quakers. And according to College Basketball Reference, the Penn Quakers bring back 97.7% of the minutes played from last season and 97.5% of the scoring. So think about how WVU had to put together this ro- the roster for this year. Think the opposite of that, and that's what the Penn Quakers are doing. They play methodical. The Penn Quakers are good at offense. But according to Ken Pomeroy's computer, very similar to Moorhead State in the turnover department in that they turn the ball over and that they don't turn the other team over. So fortunately, Friday, not a Jeopardy episode they're playing basketball and so the outlook is promising we'll see what happens that's it for this episode of unreasonable doubt it's on the youtube fired up the youtube channel there's not pictures yet but you can you can listen to things on youtube it's not that lo-fi hip-hop station but it's it's this on youtube 
youtube.com at unreasonabledoubtpod. Check that out there or wherever you're listening to it right now. Until next time, I'm Josh Witt. This has been Unreasonable Doubt, WVU for the 2022-2023 season. They have three wins and they have zero losses.